But for now, <clears throat> let me read from Joshua chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, <clears throat> and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about two thousand cubits in length. <clears throat> Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you should shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, <clears throat> so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe of a man, each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is besides Zarethan. And those flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. We're going to continue reading from Joshua. We're doing chapter 4. That's Joshua chapter 4, reading the whole thing from verse 1. When the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' 
feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over, the Ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over arms before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place, overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. They encamped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did in the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Thanks, Mark. Good evening, everyone. Um, Josh, I'm just going to check something. Um, since this is twice as long as every other chapter, can I have twice as long to preach? Is that okay? Where's Josh? Uh, maybe not. Okay. We won't go there. Don't worry. You're not in for a double long sermon. Now, if, um, if you're familiar with the series Band of Brothers, then you'll know that in World War II, Richard Winters started out as a low-ranking officer. But through a series of victories, he demonstrated that he was able to lead his men. Not only that, 
unlike an earlier company, uh, an, uh, an earlier commander of Easy Company, that's the company that he ended up leading, Richard Winters demonstrated sacrificial care for his men. He was willing to fight alongside them even in the toughest of battles. He came and he became through all of those experiences, he became this beloved commander of Easy Company. And even after he moved, he was moved uh, order by order uh, to headquarters and then eventually into retirement, the men of Easy Company still remember Dick Winters as their beloved commander. They trusted him. You see, he proved that he could lead them through tough, seemingly impossible battles and lead them into victory. In chapter 3, Joshua led the people to the edge of a very swollen Jordan River. The promised land of Canaan was right on the other side of this river. And the 12 spies that were sent 40 years earlier, so now we're almost exactly 40 years after those first Israelites, 40 years, those 12 spies earlier confirmed that the land did flow with milk and honey. It was a bountiful land, a beautiful land. And these two recent spies that we just heard about last week from chapter 2, they confirmed that the inhabitants of the land are melting away because of us. In other words, our reputation is scaring the people in the land. Now that's all good news for Joshua and for the people of Israel. That's all good news But God's promise is going to fall short if God's people are not able to get across this swollen Jordan River in order to see the people into God's promised land. And there's a great anticipation as Joshua is given the reins by God from the previous leader, Moses. Now, Moses had big shoes to fill, didn't he? When Moses left, so Joshua's got big shoes to fill. So there's an anticipation. What's going to happen? How will this new generation of Israel know to trust Joshua as God's chosen leader? That's the question from the passage for us. See, God's chosen leader leads God's people to obey his commands And to recall his faithfulness, reassuring all generations of God's promise to be with him. That's the main point for us tonight. Chapter 3 and 4 then, as long as they are, really just teach three things. First, how Joshua prepared Israel to receive God's promise. How Joshua prepared Israel to obey God's word. And how Joshua also helped them to remember all of God's works. So those are our three points. The first point then, as we look, is that God is present with his people. That's what we see over and over in this passage. God is present with his people. And now Joshua is calling on them to prepare themselves in God's presence. The word here that they'll use is consecrate, not an off, not a word that we use very often, but that's what he's talking about. So God is present, 
And Joshua is saying, prepare yourselves. The ark symbolized God's presence with Israel. From the time that God appears at Mount Sinai, so again, 40 years previously, the ark of God's covenant has led his people all those years. 40 years they've been following this ark. Now, after the two spies gave their report to Joshua, Joshua and all of Israel, as we heard last week, they traveled from Shittim and now are coming to the Jordan. And they lodged there for three days. And the officers then go throughout the camp and they tell the people to follow the ark. When the ark passes before you or ahead of you, then you are to follow it. Only they're to follow it at a distance of 2,000 cubits. Now, you're probably not up on your cubits measurements in the conversion chart therein. Um, no, it's 900 meters. At about 900 meters, so almost a kilometer, they're supposed to follow the ark. But the reason is given. In order that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. In other words, follow the ark at a distance so you can see where it's going and so that you can follow it. The ark, then, the visible presence of God with his people, guided the people into God's promised land in a way that they had not gone before. And so again, the officers are commanding the people, follow the ark. And then Joshua tells the people, now he's the new leader of Israel, and he tells the people in verse 5, if you look at it, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, a quick study again of that word consecration, because it's probably not something you've used very often. You probably haven't used it you know, to your spouse. Now, consecrate yourself, wife, because tomorrow I will see you. That was a weird way of saying it, right? You wouldn't do that. That's not the way we talk about or use the word consecration. In Exodus, okay, one of the places we see this word consecrate is in Exodus 19.10. This is just at the time when Israel is going to hear from God. The, the law is going to be given. So Israel was told this, consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai, so wash and be ready. Later in the book that we're studying in Joshua, so I don't want to give too much away, but later in Joshua chapter 7, after Achan took the devoted things, so spoiler alert, Achan's going to take the devoted things. After Achan took the, the devoted things, Israel is told, consecrate yourself. Tomorrow the Lord will come to reveal who stole the devoted things. That's my paraphrase of it. So whether the Lord has come to give his law, or whether the Lord has come to judge a lawbreaker, as we heard from chapter 3, verse 5, we also see here that tomorrow he's going to come and visit them and do wonders among them. So his people are told to turn their attention to the Lord and get ready for him to appear. And so that word consecrate means just that. It means making a conscious, careful preparation for the Lord's arrival. Be ready, the Lord is coming. So the call to consecration is really just a heads up, isn't it? Tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders. 
So each Israelite is given time to focus on the Lord. Not to focus on the Jordan and look how big that river is. How are we ever going to get across it? Not to focus on the enemies on the other side. How are we ever going to conquer those people? They're giants. And not on the difficulties that they've faced this 40 years. They're not to focus on those things. They're to focus on the Lord. And each one is called to examine their hearts before the Lord. They might ask questions like this. Am I ready to listen to him? If God is coming to speak, am I ready to listen to him? If God is coming, have I been following his commands? You see, those are good questions to think of, not just for those Israelites, but for us. If God were to say, tomorrow I'm coming, would you use the time wisely? Asking, am I listening to the Lord? Am I ready to listen? Asking, am I ready to face him? And the call to consecration also gave an opportunity for the people to affirm their faith in God's promise. See, this new generation, they were right on the edge of the Jordan. But 40 years earlier, their parents had been there. And they got scared. And they ran away. Or they failed to have faith, really. Canaan, right on the other side. And 40 years previously, failure. Unlike that previous generation, each Israelite from this generation... This new generation, they need to affirm their faith in the Lord. Maybe by a statement like this, I do expect the Lord to keep his promise. I do expect the Lord to bring us into the promised land. The previous generation had their eyes on the enemies, on the difficulties. This generation was called to put their eyes only on the Lord. And to follow the ark, that is the presence of the Lord, to follow him into the promised land. Consecration is for us too, isn't it? It's for us. Are we going to affirm our faith that the Lord will deliver? That the Lord will do as he promised? That the Lord will bring us to his promised land, our home? But we still want to know something, right? How do we know, really, how does Israel know that Joshua is God's chosen leader? I mean, he's talked to the people and he says, God talks to me and I'm telling you what God said. You know, he's talked to them. But how are we going to know, how is Israel going to know that Joshua is the chosen leader? And that brings us to our second point. You see, God speaks and the people obey him. God speaks to the leaders and the people obey. Joshua is telling the people what God said. We see that in the record that we have in front of us. Joshua speaks for God. Now this transition to a new leader, transition to a new leader at any point can be a very shaky thing, can it? And God's people are rightly asking themselves, how do we know that this new leader is the one who follows the Lord and the one that we're supposed to follow. Or maybe even they might even be asking a more practical question. 
Is he going to be anything like Moses? Is he somebody that we should follow? Can he really replace? Can he fill Moses' shoes? Now, this passage does provide us with several facts to help God's people know that Joshua is God's chosen leader. First off, it's that chain of command thing going on. The Lord spoke to Joshua, and then Joshua spoke to the people. You see that in the passage, right? God says something to Joshua, and then Joshua communicates that to the people. He says it over and over again, over and over again, so that we can be understanding something. Look at verse 7. Because God says this to, jo- uh, to, jo- um, there, to Joshua, as I have been with Moses, so I will be with you. And he repeats that same statement again in verse 14 of chapter 4. So two times he's saying, I want to show the people something. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Indeed, the reins of leadership are being handed from Moses to Joshua. And God is handing them over. But then there's also that God provides proof to show that he really is the next leader of Israel. Because he does a miracle by Joshua similar to what happened in Moses' day. God parted the waters and the people walked through on dry land. That's about as close as a similarity as you can get, right? They're facing a big divide of water that they cannot cross by themselves and God parts it and they walk through, not on wet, mucky land, on dry land. They didn't even have to wait overnight. In Moses' day, they had to wait overnight for the water to dry up. Here it happens like that. So it's even a more impressive miracle. God provides proof. God parts the waters in the same way. And Joshua points out the meaning for the people. Joshua says, here's what it means. Look at verse 10. Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. And that he will without fail drive out the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and all the other ites in the land, the termites and all those people. See, Joshua is the one that communicates the meaning of the miracle to the people of God. Again, another proof that Joshua is the guy. And what Joshua tells the people is what ends up happening. In other words, God keeps his promise even through what Joshua tells the people. Joshua tells them how God will bring them into the promised land. And they enter it just like Joshua said. In other words, there's a prediction that Joshua makes and God makes it happen. Joshua is being, if you want to say, high noted by God. But the last thing to note is this, that there's a consistency of worship. See, the ark, that place where God is present with his people, it remains the focus of their worship. Joshua didn't lead them away from the worship of the true God. Joshua said, keep your eye on the ark, follow the ark, keep in line with where the ark goes. And so the people follow the ark 
They follow Joshua's instructions and those priests that are carrying the ark led the way for God's people. And think of it this way. It's an army of God's people led by priests. An army of God's people led by priests, not by soldiers, not by politicians. Sounds kind of cool, hey? What a great army. And there's no funny business. The way Joshua leads, there's no funny business in the way he led. He provided sober, faithful leadership. He didn't look for novel ways to make an impression. He wasn't trying to high note himself. He wasn't saying, look, Moses has got big shoes to fill. I've got to make mine bigger and I've got to look more impressive. That's not what Joshua does. If you went to Kurong and you looked on the shelves in Kurong about how to lead a church, man, you can get some really funny books, some really funny things that you should try if you really want to have your church, you know, thrive and and grow. Some really funny ways to lead. Joshua doesn't lead that way. God speaks, Joshua listens, and God Joshua tells the people, and they go the way God tells them. You see, really what was happening, if you flip it around, is that it was God who proved to the people that he had chosen Joshua to lead. Joshua didn't need to take leadership. God gave it to him and let the people know that he was in charge. God's choice to elevate Joshua to the leadership position is what gives Joshua his elevated status. Well, thankfully, this time, the people of God, they obeyed God's commands as spoken through Joshua. Now, this wasn't always the case. As noted earlier, Israel's previous generation, they did not faithfully obey God's instruction through Moses And it's the reason why Israel wandered for 40 years through the wilderness and the reason that Moses even did not enter the land. You see, unfaithfulness had very serious consequences for that entire generation. Okay, but before leaving this point, just so you know, we are going to look at the miracle, okay? (laughs) The actual miracle where they actually crossed. We don't want to miss the miracle. And look at chapter 3, verse 11 to 13, where Joshua tells Israel, he's preparing them. He's telling them what's going to happen. The priests are going to bear up the ark. They're going to carry the ark. They're going to enter the Jordan. And the waters are going to be cut off and they're going to stand in a heap. Have you ever seen such a thing? Waters standing in a heap. I have never seen that. I don't even know what that would look like. Just imagine, though, water standing in a heap. And again, this is not a unique miracle in Israel's history, but it is a powerful reminder of the God that they follow. Think about it. The God that they follow can stop water from flowing. Not just a little trickle of water, but a lot of water, a water of a river that's at flood stage. The waters obey God. 
Again, these waters are in flood stage. And so if you look at chapter 3, verse 15, it's almost like a little aside that, that the writer puts in here. It says that the Jordan overflows all its banks through this throughout the time of harvest. In other words, this time of year, the Jordan is at flood stage, which means probably the river is about three to four meters deep. And it's fast flowing. Now, the two spies that were sent out earlier, they were able to cross the Jordan, maybe swim across or a raft. We don't know. We're not told. But there's multitudes of God's people. Probably a couple million people at this point. Women, children, animals. They've got to get across. How are they going to do it? Build a bridge? Get some rafts? I mean, how many rafts do you need to get across a river like this? How long would it take to build a bridge to get across like this, right? They cannot cross in mass. The Lord must intervene. To deliver on his promise. But not only that, this was an awesome sight. Again, verse 16 of chapter 3 the waters stood and rose in a heap at Adam, and the flow into the salt sea, the Dead Sea, was cut off. So Adam was about 20 kilometers up the creek bed. If you look at the map, you could see it. I think it's 20, something like that. The Adam is a far distance away, but these waters, they stood in a heap and there's no flow coming down from that point. It was an impressive sight. And look at verse 10, verse uh, 10, right at the end of verse 10 in chapter four, sorry, chapter four, at the end of verse 10, look at that passage. This is really amazing. The people passed over in haste. You get the picture, right? There's waters that are cut off. You don't know how long they're going to stand there. And they're getting across in a hurry. They're not dilly-dallying. They're not lingering in the middle of the Jordan taking selfies. You know, That's not what they're doing. They're wanting to get across really fast. And think of it too. The priests, we're told, are standing this whole time. They're standing in the middle of the Jordan. They have to get in the middle and stand there as all these people come across the river. Just have that in your mind. God's miracle to cross the Jordan on dry land, commanded by Joshua, led by the ark that was carried by the priests. All of this to uphold, to prove that God is going to do as he promised and to uphold the leader, to uphold Joshua To really indicate to them, this is the guy to follow. You followed Moses. Now follow this guy. Then we get to the third point. See, God has acted. And now the people have a responsibility. Remember it. Now you'd think seeing such an awe-inspiring sight might seem unforgettable. But the Lord knows his people. He knows his people will forget even such an awe-inspiring miracle. And they might even forget that it was Joshua who led them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. So Israel is commanded 
to remember. In chapter 3, verse 12, and in chapter 4, verse 2, they're told to take stones from the middle of the Jordan, 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel, are to take the 12 stones and carry them to the other side. And Joshua is going to set those stones up at Gilgal. We'll read about that towards the end. Now, the, the Bible commentary, Dale Ralph Davis, says this. you got to love that name, Dale Ralph Davis. Need one more name there, I reckon. He says this, Yahweh's standard method of retaining his people's fidelity. In other words, for us to remain faithful. Yahweh's method to retain his people's fidelity is not by frequent and dazzling displays of power but by faithful witness and teaching of those particular acts in which he has already demonstrated his care for his own people. In other words, for the people of God, it's not that we keep looking for some new miracle, chasing down some new miraculous way of seeing God, seeing new signs, seeing new wonders. It's actually the people of God instead Remembering what God did for us and helping future generations to know what God has already done to deliver his people. And so two times in this passage, in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and then in chapter 4, verse 21 and 22, Israel is commanded when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? In other words, those 12 stones that are stacked up at Gilgal. Then you shall tell them the story. Tell them what happened. See, each one of us, like the Israelites, we know more of Joshua's story now, don't we? We know what happened. Now we've heard the story. We had the, read, the story read to us. How the Lord used Joshua to keep his promise, to bring his people into the promised land. And we can tell others about these great acts, God's great act. And we can remember, now we know, Joshua was the one who led them. We know those things are important. Now we have a story to pass on to future generations. However, how does remembering Joshua's story help us today? I mean, it's great that Israel was delivered. It's great that God led them. It's great that God brought them into the promised land just like he promised. But how does that help us today? Does it even apply to us? I mean, I'm not Jewish. Does this even help me, right? How many here are Jew? Never mind, you don't have to raise that. Say, how many here are Jewish? Never mind, you don't have to say that. So for us, the question to ask is, how is God's past work Remembered so that we trust him today. In other words, there's got to be a link to help us to understand today. Well, there are several facts, actually. Several facts from the scriptures that help us see how Joshua's leadership applies to us. The first one, and you know it's going to involve Jesus, right? Jesus is always the answer. Jesus, Bible God. That's the Sunday school answer always. Jesus 
His name, we're told in Matthew chapter 1, His name is Jesus because He will save His people. That's what we're told in Matthew one twenty-one. Now, Jesus' name in Hebrew, get ready for this, Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua or Joshua. God is salvation. That's what Joshua's name means, and that's what Jesus' name's name means as well. You see, the truth is Jesus came as the ultimate deliverer of all of God's people. Not just the Old Testament saints, but the New Testament saints. He is greater than Moses. He is a greater deliverer than Moses. And Jesus is a greater deliverer than Joshua. Hebrews 4, 8 to 10 tell us to direct our attention to Jesus. You see, the, writer, the, the readers of the letter to the Hebrews were wavering on their commitment and understanding of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews directs their attention to Jesus. And he says to them, he is the one who has led his people to a greater rest than the rest that Joshua gave. In other words, Jesus is greater than Joshua. But we're also told in the Gospels, again back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Remember, Jesus' name is also called Emmanuel, God with us. That's in Matthew 1, 23. You see, Joshua had God with him, right? We've seen that tonight over and over again. God was with Joshua. God was upholding Joshua. God had chosen Joshua to lead God's people into the promised land. But Jesus is the Lord God. You see the difference? Jesus is the Lord God who is with his people. Joshua was was upheld by the Lord God. But Jesus is Lord. Joshua was the shadow or the type of Jesus. Jesus is the real deal. And one last connection that you might find surprising or you might go, oh, of course. Jesus was baptized by John, John the Baptist, in where? In the Jordan, right? John was called to prepare the people for the Lord's coming. You remember Joshua, consecrate yourselves for the Lord is coming. Get ready for the Lord to appear. That's what John the Baptist was doing. Preparing the way of the Lord. And like Joshua's call for the people to consecrate themselves before the Lord appeared, that's what Joshua, that's what John was doing. And then in Matthew chapter three, verse 17, after Jesus is baptized, a voice from heaven said, God, the father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What's happening in there? It's God giving his approval to Jesus as the perfect leader of God's people. 
You see, the danger for us is the same danger as the people of Israel faced. Not all the enemies, not all the distractions, but the fact that we, as God's people, can fail to celebrate God's presence with us. That we can forget his mighty acts to save. Yes, they did, he did great work in the Old Testament saints, bringing them into the promised land. But you know, Jesus has done a greater work, rising from the dead. You see water standing in a heap and you go, man, that's impressive. And a man rises from the dead. And we go, yeah, he did that at Easter. Yep, I know that. We can fail to be at awe of our God, what he has done in his mighty act to save. Not only that, but God gives us instructions, doesn't he? He tells us how to live our life. He tells us how to walk. He tells us how to care for one another. He gives us his word in order that we would obey it. So not recalling God's great works, not listening to God when he speaks, not sharing God's word regularly with those around us, with our children or others that we come across, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, that really does undermine our assurance and our walk with the Lord. We need to remember, we need to rejoice We need to celebrate the God who delivers and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is God's perfect leader. We must follow him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are indeed so grateful that what we see here in this passage reminds us of you, tells us of you. Lord, we pray for each one of us here who know you, Lord, that we would rejoice, we would remember, we would celebrate, and that everything that we have heard about today in shadow, that we would see you as the greater, the one greater than Joshua. And Lord, help us to talk about you with one another, with our family members, with our friends and neighbors and co-workers. Help us to have confidence, knowing that you are the one who is with us. We don't need to be afraid of our enemies or other disasters. We can trust you. We can walk with you because you walk with us and you hold us. Help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.